Hi, I'm Miss Tyler, and welcome to another episode of Context for Kids, where I teach you guys stuff most adults don't even know. If this is your first time hearing, or if you've missed anything, you can find all the episodes archived at contextforkids.podbean.com, which has them downloadable, or at contextforkids.com, where I have transcripts for readers, or on my Context for Kids YouTube channel. Parents, all scripture comes from the CSB this week the Christian Standard Bible, and we will mostly be in Genesis 6. So last week we talked about God telling Noah that he would make a covenant, which is a promise that God keeps forever, you know, with Noah and that Noah and his family would be safely aboard the ark that God was commanding him to make. But of course, God can promise to make a covenant with Noah and he can promise that Noah and his family can go into the ark. But guess what? If Noah doesn't make the ark, then it's pretty much pointless. (laughs) So what's Noah going to do when God tells him his plans for destroying all the people who were thinking nothing except violent thoughts and only doing violent things all their lives? When God told Abraham his plans for destroying Sodom and Gomorrah, what did Abraham do? Well, Abraham tried to talk God out of it. Even though the people there were terribly wicked, According to the prophet Ezekiel, who said that their sin was that they were living in the lap of luxury and ignoring and even hurting the people who were poor, Abraham tried to talk God out of destroying those places. He kept saying, well, if you find 50 people who are good, would you please not destroy the city? And God said he wouldn't. And then Abraham asked again, but lowered the number. And God kept saying that if he found that many, he wouldn't do it. And Abraham talked God down to 10 people in the whole city. And then after that, God disappeared. So Abraham couldn't talk him down to one because there was only one guy in Sodom who wasn't doing that sort of nasty, mean stuff. And it was his nephew Lot. So did Noah beg and plead with God not to send the flood? Well, evidently not. Now, I don't know if it was because the world and the people in it were just so violent that Noah was maybe scared for his life and wanted them all gone, or if maybe Noah just wasn't as compassionate as Abraham. Or maybe Abraham wouldn't have tried bargaining with God if his nephew didn't live there. Maybe Noah didn't know God as well as Abraham did by that point. Perhaps Noah didn't know that you could even talk to God and discuss things with him the way that Abraham and Moses did. We we just don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us, and remember that when the Bible doesn't tell us something, what do we do? We pay attention to what the Bible does tell us. And the Bible never has Noah saying anything before or during the flood at all. And the only thing the Bible ever records him as saying happens years after the flood. And it wasn't very positive. But as for right now, mm, mum's the word. Not a peep out of Noah. All it says is that, well, let's read for ourselves. Starting in chapter 6, verse 18. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark with your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives. And you are also to bring into the ark two of all the living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of everything, from the birds according to their kinds, from the livestock according to their kinds, and from the animals that crawl on the ground according to their kinds, 
will come to you so that you can keep them alive. Take with you every kind of food that is eaten, gather it as food for you and for them. And Noah did this. He did everything that God commanded him. So, even though Noah didn't say anything that the Bible wanted to record, or maybe he just didn't say anything at all, the Bible says that Noah did everything that God commanded him. And when we do everything that we're told to do, that's called obedience. Throughout the Bible, God tells us to obey him because he knows best. Obviously, Noah felt like obeying God was, you know, it felt it was the wise thing to do. He built this ginormous thing that is described as a three-story box and stuffed it with food and stuff. And we're often so focused on the ark and the animals that we really don't pay attention to the fact that Noah did this crazy thing just because God told him to do it. And that makes Noah very different, not only from everyone else on the planet at this point, but also very different from everyone who's gone before him up to this point. I mean, let's think about the obedience track record of everyone so far, shall we? Do I sound a bit snarky? Yeah, I feel kind of snarky this morning. Adam and Eve. God said, eat whatever fruit in the garden you want to eat, but not that fruit over there. And maybe they said, which fruit was that again? And maybe God said, that one, this one, this one right here. And they probably said, okay, just making sure. And what did they do? They ate the fruit. Let's compare this to building a huge three-story box in the middle of wherever it was that Noah was living and filling, you know, and, and filling it with animal and human food. Actually, it was a rectangle, not a box, sorry. Although a box can be, yeah, a box can be a rectangle. What am I doing? Okay, so it's not in the same league here. Super easy. Just, you know, don't pick the fruit. Don't open your mouth. Don't bite the fruit. Don't chew the fruit. Don't swallow the fruit. This isn't exactly rocket science. They were told not to do the thing and they did the thing. How about Cain? God said, dude, you did your offering wrong. Just go back and do it right. And don't go blaming your brother Abel just because he did his offering the right way. This isn't particularly difficult, okay? What did Cain do? Cain didn't go back and do it right. Cain got angry at his brother and killed him even. And that was just flat out overreacting to a very simple problem to correct. As we see later on in Leviticus, there's nothing wrong with offering grain and wine and presenting the first and best of your harvest to God. But something was really wrong. Cain was told to do a thing and not to do another thing. And he didn't do what he was supposed to do. And he did the thing he wasn't supposed to do. So, so far it's been kind of messed up. And then we don't hear about God talking to anyone for a long time. I imagine he probably talked to Enoch. But other than that, we don't hear any talking out of God until the time of Noah. And then out of the blue... God tells Noah to do this huge thing that must have seemed crazy and no one, and I mean no one, would have blamed Noah if he didn't want to do it. That would have been some big job. And I bet that when you get homework for school and you look at it and think about how much work it's going to be, and it's just nothing compared to building the ark. But Noah did all that the Lord commanded him, and the Bible actually says that twice. 
first time's here, when Noah gets the orders to build and prepare, and the next time is when God actually tells Noah to get into the ark with his family. And let's face it, the second command was much, much easier to obey. And you'll find that your lives will be like that. Sometimes the very first thing that God asks you to do will be the hardest, and after that it gets somewhat easier. But not always. As you grow up, there will always be challenging and difficult things that you will have to do, but you will almost certainly never be told to do what Noah did. Imagine how many trips you would have to make to the Home Depot. You'd be their most favoritist customer ever. ever. But all through the Bible, God is going to tell people to do hard things. Abraham was told to leave the place where he'd lived for 75 years. He had to leave most of his relatives and take everything and start walking from Ur to the land of Canaan. And they could only travel as fast as the slowest of their animals who had to eat as they went. He had no idea what he would find when we, when they got there, but he sure knew one thing. He was a lot safer back home with his clan, who all would have been protecting each other from enemies. They wouldn't have any land that was theirs to settle on when they got there. They wouldn't have any friends they could depend on. All they had was God telling them to go and do it, and I think that was probably very scary. I think that building the ark was really scary, too. Do you think that Noah worried about things like not finishing in time? I mean, he still had to do his normal work, or his wife and three kids wouldn't have food to eat, right? He didn't have any power tools or electricity. All Noah could do was set one foot in front of the other and start. And that's always the first part of any job. That's the hardest part sometimes. Just saying, you know, yeah, saying, you know, okay, I just have to trust God that I can do this and that there'll be enough time and he will show me how to get this job done. Maybe Noah hired people to help him build. After all, we'll see later in the story that Noah knew how to grow vineyards and make wine, and that wasn't an easy thing to do. So he was probably already doing that for a living, and that's tricky business. If Noah was someone who made wine, then he might have had a lot of money, and he could afford to hire people to help him build. We just don't know. Remember that it's always okay to talk about the what-ifs of the Bible, as long as we pay attention to the fact that we don't know and we can't say for sure that's what happened. When we get to the story of Nimrod, we'll see how people have forgotten that the Bible doesn't tell us almost anything about him, or about Melchizedek for that matter. And there are so many stories, but the Bible and history and archaeology don't have anything to say about them either. Now, in the story about the flood, we have a lot that we just don't know. And that's okay, because remember, the Bible is a book where God is showing us things about himself and not so much showing us things about history. Now, so far, God has used the flood story to show us how different he is from the Babylonians and how they saw their gods. He's used the story to show us that even when things get really bad, humans are still very important to him and he will always save us somehow. And in today's story, he's showing us that if he gives us a job to do, He will give it with plenty of time to get it done and will even show us how to do it. 
Sometimes he tells us everything at once, but usually he tells us a little bit at a time, so we keep listening. And we'll find out next week that we aren't alone when we're doing our jobs. Noah didn't have to round up the animals. They came to him. That tells us that God will do the things for us that we can't do ourselves. The false gods weren't like that. Remember when we studied the Babylonian flood story? They were mean, selfish, and not too bright. They created humans as slaves, but God created us to cooperate with him and show the world what he is like. And Noah is the first person in the Bible to actually cooperate with God, although I imagine Enoch did too. Adam and Eve had all the advantages in the world, and it should have been much easier for them. They had the perfect environment, the perfect jobs, no laundry or cooking that needed to be done because they were bare naked and ate fruit. But they decided to be gods instead of cooperating with God. Noah really seemed to know exactly who he was and who God was, and not a whole lot of people actually understand that. So I want to talk about the word trust because Noah obviously trusted God. The Babylonian and Egyptian and Canaanite and Hittite gods sure couldn't be trusted. You know, dang. Now, when we trust someone, it makes it easier to do what they tell us to do. When we don't trust someone, we usually don't want to do anything they tell us to do. And even when we should, I mean... Even untrustworthy people are right sometimes, and trustworthy people are wrong sometimes. I wish it wasn't true, but it is. Sure would be less complicated if it was the other way around. But with God, not only can we trust him, but he's always right when we can't see it. <sighs> of course, that doesn't mean we can't try to change his mind like Abraham and Moses both tried to do. And they even succeeded sometimes, but not every time. So did Ezekiel the prophet. Jesus even tried once. But wait, if God's always right, then how come sometimes we can change his mind? Well, sometimes there's more than one, just one right answer. Sometimes we might ask him if he can find another way of doing things. Sometimes we can ask him to be merciful and to not punish us the way we might deserve. And if we think that everyone who has done something wrong needs to be punished to the full extent of the law every time, then we might think that being merciful is wrong. But mercy isn't wrong when it's God's mercy. His mercy is always wise. And sometimes mercy won't work and he has to be harsh with us instead. But he always knows. We can ask him to change his mind because we know that if there is no other way, he won't go along with what we want. Now, if we don't trust some someone and they tell us to do something, we have a decision to make. One, we have to decide whether what they're saying is a good idea, even though we think they might be sneaky snakes. Two, we have to think about what they know that we don't because maybe we don't have quite all the information we need. Three, we need to seriously think about what will happen if they're right and we don't do it and what will happen and what will happen if they're wrong and we do it and what will happen. Sometimes people tell us to do things that don't really matter a whole lot one way or the other. Um, but sometimes maybe you don't like a teacher 
and they tell you to do your homework and you don't want to do it because you think it's a huge waste of time, but you need to stop and think. If I don't do this now, will I wish someday that I'd just gone ahead and worked harder? Will I miss out on opportunities because I was stubborn? When we ask questions like that, it doesn't matter when we like the person or not. And so when Noah was told to build the ark and why, he had a choice to make. I imagine he'd been walking for with God for quite some time at this point. I mean, this isn't the sort of thing that God just springs on you on day one, right? Imagine going to church for the first time, hearing about Jesus, giving your life to him, and then God saying, okay, so next week I'm sending you as a missionary to the Ladakhi in Tibet. And so you have to learn their language and all about their customs. And I expect you to know as much about me as someone who's been a Christian for 20 years. Oh my gosh, God wouldn't ever do something like that. It would be a disaster. And so for Noah to say yes, he must have trusted God a whole lot already. He must have had enough experience with God to know that this was doable and not impossible. He must have known that God would do everything he said he was going to do. Now, there are people who think that Noah did everything because he was scared of God. Because there is a verse in the book of Hebrews that said that Noah obeyed God because he had something called reverent fear. But what is reverent fear? Well, it isn't the same thing as being scared to death of somebody. That's for sure. Okay, fear is what you have when someone can hurt you bad and when you can't trust them to do what is kind and good. And you're scared of them because you know what they might be capable of doing to you or someone else. That's the kind of fear we have of some humans. Reverent fear is when someone who is mu so much bigger than you are and so much wiser and smarter than you are and so much more powerful than you are, you know, that you just know that they're better than you are in absolutely every way. We have another word for that that's closer to what we mean, and that is respect, absolute respect. Because God is who he is and never lies or leads us astray and is never unfair like the false gods of the other nations, we can respect him so much that we wouldn't think of not doing what he asks. Trust is what makes us able to obey with a willing heart and a trusting heart. And if we don't trust, then we have to rely on fear. But trust is about love and knowing that someone else is good and worthy and not out to get us. Who in the Bible do you think trusted God more than anyone? Now, if you said anyone other than Jesus, I'm going to give you a second guess. What? Yeah, that's what I thought you said. Although Noah had to trust God enough to build the ark, and Abraham had to trust God enough to leave the only home he'd ever known, and Joseph had to trust God enough to live a virtuous life among the Egyptians. And Moses had to trust God enough to face the anger of Pharaoh. And David had to trust God enough to fight against mighty Goliath with no armor in a sling. And Esther had to trust God enough to risk death in order to stand up for her people. <sighs> Jesus had to have more trust than anyone because what he faced was much more terrible than all of that put together. And we could never have done what he did. He lived a perfect life. 
and he willingly faced all the anger and rage of Satan and all his forces of evil so that we could be free of them. And that was such a hard thing to do that on the last night of his life, he prayed hard and asked the Father if there was any other way to accomplish their work to save us. And if there was another way. Now, I know that God would have found it if there was another way. But only Jesus could do what we can't because we've all sinned and done wrong things in our lives. And so if that had been us, then it wouldn't have been worth anything. Now, I want you to think of our bodies as cups full of everything we've ever done. Good and bad, okay? Maybe our good stuff is like air and our bad stuff is like thick mud. Now, some people's cups have a lot of mud in them. But everyone's has quite a bit. But look at Jesus's cup. No mud. Only air. It's like pristine clean. Nothing but the good things he did. Now, Satan has a cup too, and the liquid inside is green and it smells horrible. <laughs> if, cause really mud's not bad, right? If Satan wanted to mess with us and he poured the disgusting stuff in his cup into ours, he would still have a lot of leftovers. Okay, so he could still mess with other people, too. And Satan's bad cup is not anywhere near as big as Jesus's good cup. Now, God knew that if he lured Satan into a trap where he could mess with Jesus, and if Satan threw absolutely everything he had at Jesus, then Satan's cup would be drained all the way dry and he would be defeated. He would lose his ability to do whatever he wants to whoever he wants. So when Jesus was crucified and died for a crime that he hadn't committed, actually when he hadn't committed any sins at all, it meant that Satan abused his authority and lost the battle. It meant that the Roman Empire abused their authority and lost the battle. It even meant that the high priest and his chief priest abused their authority and lost their battle because they weren't representing God when they all worked together to kill Jesus, who was not only innocent of the crime he was accused of, but innocent of everything. Now, have you ever been punished for something you actually didn't do? I'm sure you have. Mistakes happen. Have you ever gotten away with something that you did that you really should have been punished for? I'm even more sure of that. <laughs> We've all been wrongly accused of things we didn't do. I've done it with my kids too, but a lot of times they did stuff I didn't catch them for. Now, it doesn't make it right when I would punish them or accuse them and I was wrong about it, but it does mean that they weren't perfect. And so even when they didn't deserve the punishment, you know, they couldn't claim to be totally innocent, but Jesus could. Jesus was innocent because he always obeyed God and did what was right, even when some important people got angry at him for it. Now. The really cool thing about Noah was that he wasn't actually a perfect guy. All he was was righteous and blameless compared to the other people who lived at the same time. That means that he cared very much about doing what was right, but it doesn't mean that everything he did was right. But when God gave him a huge job, Noah said, yes. When God said, just your family and just two of these kinds of animals and seven kinds of these other animals... God didn't go sneaking more animals into the ark. When Jesus, you know, what Jesus did in obeying God and being willing to die for us so that Satan wouldn't be in power over us anymore, that was amazing. 
And we wonder how Jesus could do that. And a part of it, big part, is because he loves us so much. But the other part is because of how much Jesus trusted God, because they'd been together from the beginning of the heavens and the earth. Because Jesus knows God the Father better than anyone ever has or ever will, because, you know, they're part of each other. It was possible for Jesus to know that God's way is the only right way to do things. But Noah didn't know God as well as Jesus, and yet he still obeyed. He built the ark exactly like he was supposed to. He didn't sneak more people on board, even if he wanted to. He didn't sneak more animals on board or say no to animals he didn't want to have to deal with. Noah trusted God, and he just obeyed, and I bet that was hard. So I don't want you to feel alone when God asks you to do something hard, because the Bible is a book full of people who trusted God and obeyed and didn't trust God and disobeyed. And sometimes people do a little of both. I love you. I'm praying for you. And I pray you have a wonderful week studying the Bible with the people who love you.